Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. This episode begins with a reading from today's guest, Melanie Masserin. Ahead of our conversation, enjoy this snippet from Melanie, who shares an excerpt from the newsletter that she returns to for inspiration and a reminder to slow down. Here's Melanie. Last week was election week, and I get this newsletter from Flamingo Estate. It's the California house of Richard, who owns Chandelier Creative, and they make these beautiful products with the flowers from the garden. And, you know, so it's a it's a newsletter that aims to sell you things, but I think they do a really nice job with slow content. They always really share the people behind the brand, and they always share certain perspective and it's always one that I I look forward to reading I often save it if I don't have time to read it in the moment so that I can read it later and there was this tiny paragraph in it that really caught my attention that I saved to share with you and it said that night taught me that there's a difference between weathering and ripening weathering requires endurance but ripening is carrying the sun with you the warm glow and positive energy that helps seeds grow We need to chase the sunshine every single day and people who glow from within. As Julius Child said in her 1961 cookbook, the most important ingredient you can bring to it is love. Whoever you vote for next week, make sure they bring love. And I just thought that was really beautiful in the context of cooking and sharing, but also in the context of pace and, you know, sometimes the relationship that we can have to time or aging. And I thought, you know, this idea of like weathering versus ripening was really quite beautiful. How do I ripen my company? How do I make it shine? How do I make it glow? How do I make it share this kind of positive energy and and develop from the inside? What does it mean to gather? This is a question that Melanie Masseron has tackled throughout her career. While she's widely known for cultivating experiential storytelling in her roles at renowned companies including Dig In and Glossier, Melanie's passion for community building has paved a runway for the next chapter of her professional story. Enter Gia, a new non-alcoholic aperitif brand founded by Melanie that inspires new ways to drink, gather, and think. While Gia's roots are inspired by the Mediterranean, closer to home, Melanie has grappled with building a company rooted in connection in a time of increased isolation. For Melanie, a shift in perspective and pace has become a guiding light during this turbulent time. And in this conversation, she shared more about the importance of fostering hospitality even while at home, why she characterizes Gia as being a slow company, and what she's learned about the power of slowing down and setting a new, more inclusive table. So on that note, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Melanie Masserin of Gia. I'm Melanie. I grew up in France. I live in Los Angeles, 
California. I really enjoy cooking, hosting, creating things, and gardening. And I really value direct and open communications. Um, I value offline moments, which is probably why I'm here today. I value good design and I would say simple pleasures. All of those things make sense given what you're doing now. And I think you know, in the vein of slowness and storytelling, I'm sure a lot of those elements kind of comprise of stories that have informed how you're living, working, and creating today. And, you know, before we get into what you're building, I would love to have you share a story with our listeners, whether it's an article, a poem, or a book that made you slow down recently or made you consider a new way to drink, gather, and think. For sure. So, in building, yeah, I think a lot about how people gather, how people drink, especially during this time. And I'm sure we'll come to talk about it. And and obviously, it's been a very busy year, so I haven't taken a lot of time to kind of you know read novels in the way that I used to or love to. Um, but recently, I read Fanny Singer's book called Always Home. Um, she's the daughter of Alice Waters, and it was like a a real page turner for me. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, holiday and how we're going to be gathering this year and also about what it means to be home because I think a lot of expats will probably relate to that feeling. But like when something happens at home, you feel very homesick, whether it's like attacks on the country or um, just like the recent shutdown or not being able to go home. And so uh, with the holidays looming, you know, I, it's just been something that's been in the back of my mind a lot. And first of all, being able to slow down to just read this book, I read it in two days, was so incredible. But I've been thinking a lot about this idea of like sharing your home. This is what, um, you know, Alice and Fanny do in their book. They tell stories of what it means to be home. They share recipes, little cooking tips, almost like expand on how they live. And so I've been thinking a lot about how you share kind of your family and your history in the ways that you host just through the little things that you do in your kitchen and kind of what it means to be sharing your home with people. I highly recommend it because it's really easy to read. It's a beautiful story about the love of a daughter for her mom and, you know, a very special mom with a very special professional career, but it's also just very informative in terms of removing the kind of intimidation of, you know, certain things in the kitchen. And just also for me, it has given me like a very special lens through, you know, how I do things is actually just a lot more loaded with like the history of where I come from than what I thought. Probably just the perfect way to set the tone as we set the table for this unprecedented holiday season. And I think it probably makes sense because noting the letter that you've kind of written on the brand's website, you've also pulled a lot of anecdotal experiences and stories from your childhood into what you're building today. I did, yes. Whether it's flavors or, you know, I was very lucky to have a very special grandmother. And I think a lot of origin stories start that way. But, um, you know, she passed away way too young. But the years that I had with her were like some of the most formative. And I only realized that much later. She was the most incredible host. And she was, she's the person who taught me how to cook. And her approach to life was so joyful. And I think a lot of what we do or the way that I try to approach life every day is like thanks to her and you know of course 
a lot of the inspiration also comes from the way that she used to see the world. And it's like always with the sun, always with the glass half full, but also just with a level of generosity that I'm just so happy it was like ingrained in me from a young age and really just again an appreciation for the small pleasures you know there was nothing lavish in her kitchen there was nothing too complicated but everything was just so inclusive and so generous and even the the way that she approached you know ingredients and so when I started working on Gia I thought about the drinks that she used to make and the conversations that they used to spark and how we would recreate this atmosphere and then I went into her recipe book and started thinking about the tasting notes and and how you know I think a lot about how our palates and our memories are so intricately connected and this is a bit Proustian in a way but how you can bite into something and be transported to a different place and so it's like having to do this kind of reverse work to create Gia and like what is the is the intention behind this product what feeling do you want to ignite in people and as a result you know how does it taste and how is it made it's interesting because I also draw a lot of inspiration from my grandmother she's an artist she's based in New Mexico and I wonder you know as you mentioned a lot of origin stories kind of look back to the wisdom that we can take away from past generations but it seems like we're almost in this cycle of kind of hearkening back to times where we weren't as connected digitally so that we could really develop our palette develop routines and rituals that are rooted in connection and slowness and you know as you've kind of shared these personal stories I'd love to have you also share a little bit of your professional story and elements of it that you don't get to talk about normally but you think are relevant to how you're building Gia today. You know, I graduated from school and I worked in finance um, for a couple of years. I worked at Goldman Sachs before moving on to join the team at Dig In, which is a fast casual concept that's really focused on mindful sourcing based in New York City, but with restaurants in most of the Northeast now. And then after that, I moved on to work at Glossier, where I was um, head of retail and offline experiences. And that's sort of the part that people often want to talk about is like, how did you build offline for this brand that was, you know, so fascinating to most people with such an engaged community and the design of the stores, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what's really the kind of defining path in my career and again, inspired so much of what we did at Kia is this idea of hospitality. And I think, you know, Glossy Retail was very different because it was really built like a restaurant group would have been and not like a an umbrella of stores would have been. It was hyper-localized. It was always done before an opening. Every single one of them was different. You know, the idea of being extremely personal and having like one-on-one person service is very different from how it's done in most retail stores. There's no checkout, you know, counter. Everything is brought to you in a way that I think is from an experience standpoint, a lot more reminiscent of hospitality. And, and this idea of hospitality is something that we also used to think a lot when I worked at Dig In because we were fast casual concept. We wanted everyone to feel welcome. So that's just something that throughout the years we've had to think about a lot. And, you know, I've read a lot of books about it and I've talked to a lot of people about it. We invited Danny Mayer to come speak to the team when we opened the first Glossier stores. He has, you know, written this incredible book called setting the table that's about he calls it enlightened hospitality and meaning how you have to be hospitable from the inside out of your company 
to be able to uh, actually transfer that to customers. And as you know, a first time founder and someone who's learning how to lead a team now, it's definitely something that I also think about a lot. And, you know, in building Gia in a pandemic, it's like we were supposed to launch in restaurants only on April 1st of 2020. So it's been a year of challenges. And, you know, with this idea of hospitality in mind, always we've had to think a lot about how we bring that experience home. How can Gia be a product that is actually more of an experience than it is an actual product? And that, again, like transpires through in kind of the packaging, the messaging, but it's something that we've had to think about so much. And, and my experience at, you know, both Digin and Gossi has really helped me develop that. Yeah, I mean, you've risen to the occasion in terms of being able to translate Gia's message and mission in such a way where it doesn't seem like you had to do too much of a shift. So kudos to you. And I think too, you know, on the subject of kind of being creative and finding solutions to unprecedented problems like a pandemic, something that I'm really interested in, especially, you know, when we talk about slowing down is just our general relationship with pace in an age where we are so connected digitally and how it kind of permeates every aspect of our lives. And I think in the context of entrepreneurship, you know, there's been this really big shift over the last couple of years in terms of changing the narrative around prioritizing pace versus performance. And so I want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, how have you navigated your own relationship with pace? And what's the biggest impact that maybe a change in pace like the one we've experienced this year has had on how you live and work now? Absolutely. It's interesting because I think I was definitely someone who in my 20s was not good at navigating pace. I was sort of going very fast, so as fast as I could always. And I really burned myself out. And when I left Grossier, I really felt like I had to reset. I took a bit of time off doing some freelance work and, you know, ultimately decided to try something else and leave the city and move to California for what was a few months test. And now it's been over a year and I think I'm definitely staying here and the pace of my life in LA is so different and I don't think it's for everyone but it's really allowed me to reconnect with kind of like my own pace my internal pace in a way that I didn't manage to in the city and so that means really understanding the moments during the day when I can go fast and the moments during the day when I need to slow down, even though we work a lot. And, you know, even though the pandemic was, I think, a change of pace for most people, for us, it turned into a sprint a little bit because we had so many hurdles and our way before launching and we've had to pivot everything on a really short timeline and with a really short runway. So I think my quarantine experience has been extremely different from that of most people. But, you know, in terms of bases, like I think really understanding when I can get a clear mind and when I am actually like can be the most like physically active has been like the biggest change for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, on the subject of pace and, you know, launching a lot of people, I think we have a fair amount of mutual connections, I would assume, but a lot of people that I know have launched, you know, really big ventures this year, myself included, I relaunched slow stories and kind of built a formal brand around it. Whereas before I was, you know, kind of in this exploratory phase of seeing there was even an appetite to talk about this. What I've learned is that timing is really everything. And so were you thinking about 2020 as like the year where you were going to launch Gia or like what was the kind of build up to realizing that this was the moment that people needed this? 
Yes, we've been working on Gia for a long time. It was, you know, because I haven't been drinking for a few years. And I think there was a pivotal moment when I realized I was looking for, I guess if we could say like kind of, the, it was the slow version of like my career, right? I left and I was thinking like, what is the thing that I will be happy to do for the next, you know, 10 years? And it was hard to find that because I had been on the kind of like New York startup sprint a little bit, you know, switching jobs every three years and uh, moving at a really fast pace. And um, so all of 2019, I spent working on Gia as I was also working for other clients, but really taking the time to thoughtfully bring it to life first as if it was another client and then slowly, you know, phasing out the rest of my work to be 100% focused on it. And I was so sure it was like, you know, everything was coming together we had started to do a lot of community development with our friends and family and you know we had wanted to do a slower launch which was very different um we had wanted to not raise venture capital money which was also a bit different than kind of how you know the professional experiences that i had in the past and we wanted it to be a slow company i think gia is a slow company we only have one product for instance which is very different it's all about taking that moment to slow down but if you think about big alcohol brands they also only have one product right so it's a lot of it is about evergreen and so for us the building up to launching gia was like let's build a community so we shared gia with over a thousand glasses of gia to get feedback before we even finalized the formula and then we were planning on launching it in restaurants only we really wanted to get as much feedback as possible from people that were really credible and we really wanted to get it right. And then we would be, you know, able to realize the formula completely before launching it in a more, you know, customer focused way or more direct to consumer way and in retail. And obviously everything changed and we had to launch direct to consumer, but because we had done all this community development and kind of taken a slow approach to gathering feedback, I think is what ultimately saved us. So we definitely thought 2020 was going to be a big year in such a different way. And actually it was because we took things slowly before that it was still a successful year for us. It's very inspiring. You know, I love the characterization of a slow company. It'll be interesting to see how many other brands sort of follow suit as we collectively recalibrate our value system. And I think too, part of that community building and being able to really connect with people now, I truly believe storytelling is a catalyst for that. And so kind of getting to the heart of slow stories, you know, in this most current phase, I'm very interested in exploring slow storytelling and slowing down in this digital age. And so I always like to ask my guests what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to them as consumers of content, but also since you are building such an aligned company, what does it mean to you with Gia? Yes, it's such an interesting question, right? Because so, you know, just the concept of content in general is a little bit foreign to me in the sense that everything that I've thought about for the past five years has been how to create offline experiences. And I think, you know, design is content. I think conversations are content. There's a lot of offline content, but the way that we think about it today or the way that we've had to incorporate it in the story of Gia has been fully digital and that's very new. And so it's been a year of learnings for sure. But you know, for us, slow content has really meant like, I think people, because people are on their phone so much or online so much, 
because of the pandemic. So meaning in an increased way from what is also just tied to kind of our generation or a sign of the times, because we're just forced to be on content so much. I feel like there is this pressure from brands to kind of like stay on top of your inbox. And so we've definitely taken a very different approach to that. We don't have a set schedule for when we send, you know, newsletters. A lot of the content that we send is like very ad hoc, like um, trying to feel the moment. So, you know, we don't really send like transactional text messages, for instance, but on a Monday, we'll put together a playlist that's like a focus playlist. And if we feel like customers are posting about, you know, not being able to focus, like we'll share that with them. So it's a little bit more content that kind of reacts to our environment as opposed to very actively trying to tell our story. And I think that's because, you know, again, we are a slow company and we have to build Gia over time. Like it needs to be something that people relate to from a kind of like feeling standpoint. We're not launching a bunch of products. There's not like this kind of constant newness with the company. So really it's about how you build depth in the content and the storytelling for us. And, you know, it's like everything that's inside the bottle and how it comes out, whether it is escapism, whether it is, you know, really understanding that a real drink is made of real ingredients, not just alcohol. It's really about everything that happens after you pour that drink. And so what we're trying to be is like a catalyst for content for people to be engaged in conversations as they're having Gia, not necessarily for Gia to be telling them things. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. And I think it's so interesting and important to kind of reshift the narrative around that because, you know, I don't have to tell you this or anybody listening, but we're in such an unprecedented time politically, culturally, financially. And I think traditionally, when we talk about having a drink, there is this kind of attachment to coping or using it as something to deal with trauma versus connection. And I think in terms of the larger conversation around maintaining healthy habits and really fostering that sense of connection, you know, what stories do you hope Gia kind of inspires customers or people in general to start telling, you know, as they're having a a Gia drink? And, you know, how do you hope we can start kind of connecting on a broader level, especially in a time of increased isolation? Yeah, in a time of social distancing, isolation, but also in a time of fracture in our country. And I say our country, like I fully include myself, you know, in this, but I hope that having Gia will mean that we have more connected conversations, that our table, you know, is more inclusive in some way. It starts with the table being inclusive to drinkers and non-drinkers alike. We always say Gia is an invitation because I personally felt very frustrated by the fact that I was even sometimes hosting dinners, but I felt like I wasn't participating because I wasn't drinking. And so that was the root of how do we destigmatize non-drinking? But there's so much more now. It's like, how do we really make our table more inclusive to drinkers and non-drinkers alike, but also to people, you know, from a diversity of background and origins? And how do we really start having these conversations in the sense that they're real conversations with real listening and not just, you know, people trying to make a point. And I think there's hope, you know, we're post-elections and really how do we start kind of bridging the gap between, you know, all of our divided opinions? Yeah. I really love that, how you framed deep listening. You know, I think that 
is so integral to, you know, our relationship with pace. And I think on that note, I'm curious if you, as you kind of listen to feedback from customers or friends of the brand, if there have been any unexpected narratives that have arisen that maybe you didn't anticipate, but are pleasantly surprised by? Yes, actually so many, because I think the way that we interact with products is so different this year. And so we expected that we had to launch the company online. And that meant a lot of people were going to find us on Instagram and consume this kind of visual mood board of Gia. You know, my favorite content these days is reading customer gift notes. Um, because they're just so incredible. And um, like, you know, five to 10% of Gia is gifted, which is amazing. To me, it's just like, it's, it's just a beautiful thing that people, you know, are like well-intentioned and will gift Gia as like, I don't know, like a present to their friends. There's just something, there's just something really special to me about it. And the notes that we read are are incredible because you can see how people connect with the product, but also what they wish on others. Uh, and so we get some really incredible ones, but we also get incredible stories of people texting us or emailing us and saying that they have enjoyed Gia with their families because they're quarantining at home. And so I think that we've been able to reach more generations than we thought and getting that feedback of who receives the product and how people enjoy it. We're learning so much about our customers. You know, I expected on a launch day that we were going to send to mainly our friends and family in New York and LA, people wanting to support. And we shipped to 32 states, which was so special. And again, it was because people had had left the cities and they were at home. And then we kept hearing stories of this kind of evening aperitivo with their parents. And, you know, the mom or the dad would make a Negroni or make a very special drink. It was kind of the moment to take this break. And, you know, we are um, working at home and living at work these days. And so, you know, they would bring up Gia and have a conversation about it and give us tasting notes and feedback. And, and that was just something that I found to be so special. First, I didn't expect that it would be such a conversation with customers. And it's really something that we are leaning on now. It's like we rely so heavily on every email that we get from them for feedback because we're not able to do sampling and we're not able to do a lot of in-person things that we were hoping. And so it's really about, again, starting this conversation. And so that's been my favorite. Um, my favorite part is just this mix of stories coming from so many different places. Fantastic. I was just thinking how amazing would it be for you guys to kind of create a scrapbook and collect some of these like photos and anecdotes and notes and put something tangible together of your first year be amazing actually yeah I mean I think what you've created is something that is a very grounding sort of force in a time where nothing seems certain so it's wonderful and I think too you know as you kind of continue to have these conversations both personally and professionally something else that I always like to ask my guests is if there is a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often so in whatever context do you feel is most appropriate what's one question that you hope people start asking you um that's a really good one um I've been trying to think about and these times, like how to ask, how are you in a way that will actually be a little bit deeper than the casual, how are you? I feel like we're all feeling so many things right now and need connection more than ever. And, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out how to ask that question better. And it's obviously something that, you know, I would love for people to also ask in a better way. And I don't have quite the answer there, but a lot of people have been reaching out to say, 
how can I help, you know? And that, that was something that I'm so grateful for this year. But I think kind of like understanding in these times, like what keeps people going and how we can fuel that for them is actually just like an even more generous thing. Um, and so whether it is, you know, obviously for me this year, Gia has kept me going. It's helped me get out of bed in the morning. It made this really awful year kind of be the most gratifying year of my life because even in a time of social distancing, we've had so much sharing with people through GIA, but really trying to get, you know, family, friends, people to engage in like, what is the thing that is keeping us going these days and how we can all, you know, help keep each other going. That's been a recurring sort of theme whenever I ask this question. And, you know, just for context, I, I do like to ask this question because I think it gives people permission to think beyond what they think might be expected of them in an interview format like this. I think we've kind of become conditioned to only answer through a particular lens or talk about things that people might expect from us. So I think just getting back to the basics of asking, how are you? And really wanting to accept that answer, whatever it may be, is so important. Yeah, it's also very cultural, I think. For instance, when I moved to America, um, I was very surprised that people in stores would say, how are you? Because in France, if someone asks you, how are you? You, you know, you start a conversation about how you are, <laughs> which is something that would be really off-putting uh, if you did it in the store. But I guess it's just um, the way that we employ certain expressions, I guess, are faster here than they are in France and vice versa. And how are you really is one of them where you would say you would say hi to someone walking into a store if you were greeting them, but you wouldn't ask how they are because it's a very personal question. Whereas I feel like here it's almost like greeting and it'll be interesting to see how we kind of approach those moments of initial connection once we're on the other side of this and can gather in a more concrete way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think all of this is really a time to reconnect with ourselves and to ask questions of ourselves. And I know for me, I actually haven't left my neighborhood since March. So I've been completely slow in the sense where I've really been with my partner and with myself and have taken this time to slow down and reflect on, you know, the kind of life I want to lead both personally and professionally. And I think, again, in our age of digital distractions and connection, it can be really hard to pinpoint what's actually important because we are moving so quickly. And so with all of that said, my last question for you is one that I think always kind of brings each of these conversations full circle in a really nice way. And that question is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better, and then maybe in the future, gather better too? I think slowing down our relationship to content really comes down to bringing more intention into our lives and something that I will probably miss dearly from this year is having this time to be really intentional with the way that I do certain things. And so, you know, for me, it means instead of being, for instance, bombarded with certain emails, like I've really started to categorize the things that I want to read later and the things that I don't want to read at all and what I want to be spending my time on when it comes to content so that I can really appreciate the long form pieces where reading will feel more like a leisure and not like work. And I think it's like 
all about bringing intention to how you do things. You know, the internet is amazing and there's like so much in there, but you know, I think taking back this time to be offline and you never remember the time you spent on the internet really. And I feel like you remember the time you spend living in the real world so much more. And so for me, it's just really shifting intention to having more of those memories. That was Melanie Masterin, founder of Gia. You can shop Gia online at drinkgia.com and follow them on social at drinkgia. You can also follow Melanie at Melanie Masterin. Stay tuned as we'll be sharing highlights from this episode on our own social channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman and you've been listening to Slow Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in.